Well, last week we introduced to you Drive Through Love. Uh, it's a way for us to talk about um, how fast, cheap, and easy doesn't do it for us and that we need something substantive. We need what's genuine, what is real. And that's what uh, this series is about, Drive Through Love. And we, um, in talking about it, we were asking the questions uh, with relationships, how can we have good ones and how can we get over bad ones? It's relationships that make life rich and rewarding. It's relationships that also make life so painful uh, and so difficult. And in this Drive Through Love series, we're saying that uh, better than have it your way is uh, looking to consider a better way, a higher way. And we pointed you to our target. It's our target verse in this series. It's Philippians 2.5. Do you remember it from last week? Do you know it in your heart? It's so good. Uh, let's go back. Um, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your what? In your relationships uh, with each other, the same mindset that Christ had. I, sh- I shared with you last week, hey, it's not the, the most important thing you can do in your relationships, all your relationships, single, married, whatever, is not just to be in church, but to have Christ Jesus inside of you, working inside of you. Uh, Philippians 2, 5, um, Philippians 2 talks about that very thing. It's far from drive-through love. It's Jesus who was God, equal with God, who didn't think it a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself far from drive-through love. It's, um, it's real, it's genuine, it's serving, it's self-sacrificing of all around. Is that, that's what he uh, provides for us. We introduced to you the relationship model. So let me flip it, reverse it. I won't sing Missy Elliott, but I do want you to look at um, this relationship model, uh, attachment model. This was written by um, a doctor who, uh, I, he wrote this book for singles, and then he wrote another one for married couples, and I think we'll, uh, we'll make some of these available for you to pick up in the next couple of weeks. We'll do a thing in probably the Breezeway Room, the first five people get it for free, and the rest of you have to buy it, that sort of thing, but we'll make this available, but I really recommend it. If you're married, we're talking about how you can grow deeper in your marriage, no matter how long you've been married. We can testify from the stage in the front row after 26 years of marriage, we're still learning things about each other, still surprising each other in, in uh, new ways. It's a good thing. So it can help your marriage as you face the changing dynamics of, of life together. Uh, and of course, single people, hear me now, hear me now. The preacher's telling you the truth. This is critical information uh, to think about your life as you move forward. And we said this, but we want to we make the, the mistake, and this is so foundational. No one's going to do cartwheels. Nobody's going to throw money at me for being innovative and creative and profound. But y'all, this is where it's at. This is the foundation of knowing somebody. If you're going to have any level of trust, you have to know them. You have to be known. Those are deep needs that God put in you. Now, it's fun on a first date to lie. It's fun to put your best foot forward. It's fun at times to uh, project an image, but that can't go long. You really need to know and be known, and it's foundational. We make the mistake, hear me, especially young people. No one check out, but especially young people. We make the mistake when we get this out of sequence. We make a mistake when we rush ahead, and we're in a relationship that uh, there's, there's, uh, there's physicality involved, but God created this act. He created touch to bond people together, and when you do, you are bonded with someone, but if you can't rely on them, if you're not committed to them, there's an emptiness to that. Now, we're going to save this for a few weeks from now. We're going in order of this relationship attachment model. Last week was knowing. Today, we're going to talk about trust, and we'll get here, and this will be a PG-13 talk where all the little people that God made, we'll, uh, we'll invite them to go down the hall so the preacher can preach it, uh, that particular 
that particular Sunday. Hey, real quick, I'm, I'm excited about this. Let me just touch on it a little bit. Any commitment phobes in the house? Anybody afraid of commitment? There's a whole group of people in the world that are afraid of commitment. They're called men. But all of us, to some extent, like you want, you want to check your options. Anybody afraid when your options get limited? Like you had all budget, and then you commit to something. You're like, whoa, whoa. And you're, afraid, you're, like, you're looking for the escape clause. No, I'm not like this. But I know people, and I pastor people who've got this in them. So I'm, I'm preaching to you today. Uh, but commitment is, is interesting because uh, writer Lewis Smead says that when you commit to someone, to something, uh, you're doing three things. You're losing three things. Now, I got your attention, right? You're losing three things. You're losing freedom. You're losing choice. And you're losing individuality. You're, you're losing freedom, choice, and individuality. Nothing that's really important to Americans, right? Like, we don't value any of those things, so let's just move on. No, for real. You remember, it used to be my time. It used to be my schedule. It used to be my money. It used to be my heart. It used to be my preferences. And now what? It's our heart. It's our time. It's our money. It's our preferences. And you begin to lose yourself when you, when you make a commitment. There's nothing, nothing like family commitment. I, I, I always think it's funny. When someone says, you know, I got this job, I really like my job, which is, that's not funny, that's awesome, that's really cool. But, uh, but they'll say, you know, uh, I work for a company and we're like a big family. And I just chuckle at that because, you know, uh, that's like your job. And if you're nice to each other, that's good. I think if you follow Jesus, you work for a company, no matter where you are on the org chart, like, be, like promote familial feelings there. I think that's really, really good. But if you think that the company you work for is a big family, do something. Don't show up. And then don't show up. In fact, never show up. And they'll send you a pink slip and you go to your supervisor and say to them, hey, I, you, can't, you can't fire me. We're a big family. And that supervisor, he or she will look at you and say, uh, you were in the family, but now you're fired. There's nothing, nothing like family. When we think of commitment, we need to, we need to think of this way. Our youngest yesterday went off to college. Things are different for us. You know, your kids, parents, I'm talking to you, but your, your kids, man, there's a, it's a unique love for them. Uh, they could go away. They could betray your values. Uh, my kid's not. He's, I think he's in church today. But uh, he's in church. Check, his, check your phone. Make sure he's in church. Yeah. He's there. He's there. Are you serious? Praise Jesus. He's in church right now. Come on. Let's give the Lord a hand. Yeah. Now let's check on y'all's kids and see where they are today. Um. Don't say the name of the church, but yeah, yeah. It's Fondren Church in Starkville. Yeah, we got a campus up there. But uh, nothing like family. And here's the thing. Your kids can go away, and they will, and they should release them, people. Uh, they go away, and they could, they could break your heart. They could betray your values. They could deny God. But you love them always. And some of you know, many of you know, there's just nothing like this level uh, of commitment. And when it comes to family, it's something really special. And uh, let's keep an eye on that as we walk through this series, single or, or married. When um, Susan and I were dating, we had one extended pre-marriage counseling appointment. Isn't that funny? One. And in this uh, counseling appointment, uh, they thought they could tell us everything about what couples fight over, money, sex, kids, communication, in-laws, uh, differing expectations, changing dynamics, division of labor, all that. One hearty session of marriage counseling. We got some later through conferences with Campus Crusade. But in that one session, I remember the point where this counselor looked at uh, Susan and I, and here's what she said. She said, if y'all wake up one day and you have grown out of love, 
what will you do? And Susan immediately said, I will honor my commitment. Now at the time, that was the wrong answer for me. Because she would never grow out of her feelings of love for me, nor I for her. Other ordinary people, that will happen to y'all. But not us. We're remarkable. We're magical. We're special. Can I tell you? Can I tell you that our marriage, uh, we're coming up on 26 years, but our marriage is a thousand little commitments powered by God. I will give. I will love. I will forgive. I will trust. I will reveal. I will fight, but I will fight fair. I will not escape into a bottle or a screen. I won't run away and flirt in a bar. I will honor the sacred spaces that we talked about at the beginning of our marriage, the marriage bed, the dining room table, and the church pew. We will make those three spaces a priority. A thousand little commitments powered by God. So today, or let me back up and setting the tone for today, we asked uh, last week about how do you know someone? Again, we talked about how it's so foundational. And we said in that talk, I challenge you that you're only going to know someone. There's no shortcuts to this. There's no secret formulas, even though some men and women write books telling you there's a secret formula. There's no secret to this. You're only going to know someone by having a wide variety of shared experiences over time. But we did drop some biblical truth to you. We looked at 1 Samuel 16, 7, where it says that man looks at the out, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Proverbs 20, chapter 20 and verse 5, the deep are the purposes of some, in someone's heart, but a wise person draws it out. Deep waters are inside of everyone, the scripture says. You've got deep water. Even if you're kind of shallow, you seem shallow, you've got stuff deep in you. And the people, as we get to know each other, the only way to know each other is to draw that out. Questions and listening and time, extended time, a wide variety of shared experiences. Now remember, we really mess it up. So many people do by getting here and going here and messing up the biblical progression of that God intended for our relationships. So we got to know each other in order to trust each other. So let's look. Um, Emmy, I think I'll try my remote control. Um, and let's look at uh, this reality when it comes to trust. Somebody said this. I couldn't find the source, so I'll claim it as my own. Robert Greene once said, a relationship without trust is like a car without gas. You can stay in it all you want, but it won't go anywhere. Mariah, in the opening reading, scripture reading and prayer, she read this to you. Some of you had it at your wedding, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The English Standard Version that I preach from most of the time says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's get this correct. Everybody in the room, I want you to hear this. Uh, as believers, if you're a believer, as believers, we are called to trust people. We are called because love does that love trust. So we are called to be trusting people. But did you, hear, did you hear what she read earlier? Did you hear Psalm 55? David said, hey, if a friend deserts me, if a foe comes after me, I can hide, I can run. It, it's not that big a deal. But when a friend, a good friend, who we used to have sweet fellowship in the house of God, when someone that's a fellow believer, when someone close to me betrays me, that hurts like nothing else. 
And so I want you to look in rapid, we'll do this in rapid succession because I don't want you to be naive. I don't want anybody to stay in a relationship you shouldn't stay in. I don't want anybody to trust someone that you shouldn't trust. I don't want, listen, there's some guys in my job, in my seat, that get, they've, been, they've done a terrible job and they've used this book wrongly to make you think that you need to stay in an abusive relationship and I want to say no, like get out. You don't ever use the Bible to stay in an abusive relationship. And if it's toxic, don't be under the same roof. No, no, no. Let's be, let's be clear with that. But I want to give you some rapid fire verses because I don't want to be anybody to be naive. So love, trust, as believers. What was my point? As believers, we are to be trusting. But look at what also the scripture says in various places. Uh, do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend, even when the woman who lies in your embrace. Obviously, they uh, didn't fulfill the relationship attachment model when the woman who lies in your embrace guards the words of your lips for a son dishonors his father a daughter rises up against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law man's enemies are not or i'm sorry are the members of his own household micah 7 verses 5 and 6 the psalmist put it this way it's better to take refuge in the lord than to trust in humans uh, Jeremiah 17, 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Isaiah 2, 22, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Now, these verses need to be properly understood, not misunderstood and therefore misapplied, but it's just given us a dose of reality. Be careful of just trusting everybody. Look, I'm a human. Don't let me lead astray. I hope that you're... Uh, you're encouraged by my life and teaching. I hope you're inspired by it. I am a mere man. Don't put your ultimate trust in me. I don't think anybody's going to. I'm seeing you looking at me with suspicion already. But look, don't, don't worry about me. Don't elevate somebody. And we've got to be careful not to do that. But we do. There's just something about us that attaches divine qualities to people. And then we just get so heartbroken. So don't be naive. And so, yes, you are called as a believer to be trusting. You won't grow in love if you don't trust. But be careful. Be careful how you trust. We all have trust issues. Raise your hand if you got some trust issues this morning, okay? Nobody really wanted to at the 930, a lot of proud people there. But if you got to, look, we all have trust issues. Uh, some people have trust issues more than others, but we all have trust issues. Uh, there's t-shirts about trust issues. I, I learned this week as I was studying for this sermon. Uh, anybody have a gym? You go to a gym and there's, you have a personal trainer and they yell at you and they, tell, they lie to you. They say, last one. Uh, trainers who say, last one are the reason I have trust issues. Um, here's one, raisin cookies that look like chocolate chip cookies are the main reason I have trust issues. Um, I have trust issues because people have lying issues. Let's just cut to the chase here. And then I picked this one out. This has bugged me. My last name is Green. Everyone since I was in third grade and learned about the truth about Greenland and Iceland, I got, look, I got trust issues. If some of you are, you know, you're get, trying to get close to me and I don't trust you, it's, it could be Greenland, Iceland stuff right here. I, I don't know. But we, we all have these trust issues. And remember when you were young, when you were a kid, or if you have kids, you look at them and kids are so trusting, aren't they? Kids naturally have a bent toward trust. They have a bent toward trust, but we get older and we, we get hurt. Uh, Friday, I was studying for this sermon. Uh, my dog, my golden retriever, a rescue dog, Milton, was at my feet as he wants to be. And we were studying. We were here on Friday. Not many people are in the building on Friday. And we heard little feet running down the hall. And I guess in his former life, uh, he had some kids that weren't too kind to him. So he really barks at little children. He was particularly startled. So he, he barked at Josh and Mariah Carver's little girls, Crosby and Reese, as they ran down the hall. We ended up uh, playing with them. Well, an hour later, uh, Josh and Mariah had their girls at home. Mariah was uh, parenting her little daughter, uh, Crosby. And she asked her a couple of questions about what she just experienced. Take a look and a Listen, as Crosby uh, just had lunch, apparently uh, blueberries were involved in uh, this lunch, and I think I did. Yeah. 
Who talked to you? Um, mm. a puppy talked. What was the puppy's name? Um, Milton. Milton? Who's, <laughs> whose puppy is Milton? I don't know. Robert's? Robert. Robert's puppy? Yeah. Do we like Milton? Yeah. Yeah. Does he talk a lot? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. For me. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Reese and Daddy. Yeah. Did Reese like Milton? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked up. Reese did this. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to see Robert's silly face? No. <laughs> So I don't get enough time with Crosby like I want. We got some cute staff kids. Can we do a st st Fondren Church staff kid calendar or something? Like, or can somebody just have an ugly kid and uh, help us out here? It's just so, so much cuteness. I don't get to see Crosby uh, like I want to all the time. But every time I see her, I say, hey, can I make a silly face? And the silly face is really misnamed because it's a, like an old man scary face. And, uh, and it, it scares her. So that was her response to the question. But here, look, look at what's happening here. I think it's analogous to us. Stay, stay with me for a second. Uh, if not, if this, does, if this point doesn't drop home, you just saw a cute kid on video, right? So, but, but Mariah was parenting her child, and she was processing what is safe and what is good and who we know and who we don't know and therefore who we can trust and maybe rely on. And she's not sure about the bald-headed preacher's silly face. I'll give her that. But we're all, we all live in this world of trust, and I would say to you, let, the, let God parent you. Let him process life with you. Speak to him and tell him about your day and tell him about who barked at you and tell him about what you've seen and tell, tell him about who you know and don't know and ask him questions and let him speak his truth over you through his word, through his spirit, through wise people in your life. Be available for all. Come to church and listen for what God may say about trust. So here's what I want to do uh, today. I want to talk about three elements of trust, and we'll roll through this and honor your time. I want to talk about gaining trust, sustaining trust, and here's going to be a heavy one at the end. It's regaining trust. And that's the part of the sermon I want everyone to look straight at me and not around the room. To gain trust... How important is this and what's involved in building trust? Well, you, you have to know somebody in order to trust them. Don't run past it. Don't go here. And we do, um, I talked last week about these being levers, like levers on a soundboard. And we want them all, single people in friendships, married people with their spouse. We want all the levers to be up. We, wanna, we want it turned up. We want it to go high. But we, it, be careful if your trust in someone is higher than what you know. Sometimes when I'm with somebody, particularly a young person, their trust is here in somebody else. But what they know about them is here. And they've got to they've close that gap. So how do you gain trust? Samson was a dude uh, in the Old Testament who was just a physical, I mean, dude was jacked up, chiseled, cut, picture me like in sandals, just a very impressive guy. But in the midst of his powerful strength, uh, he had a weakness and his weakness was dot, dot, dot. Samson's weakness was, uh, okay, let's go with women. Yeah, you're, you're, don't get ahead of the story, you Bible people, people who did well in Bible drills in Sunday school. But his weakness was women. And we see inside, he was a, a he-man with a she problem. And he, his first marriage, Judges, uh, the first, there's four chapters in Judges that talk about Samson. And in, uh, we, we notice that he marries a person that his uh, parents didn't approve of. Y'all just take that for what it's worth. But uh, the parents were saying, no, get a, get a 
get a good wife uh, from your people, and here she is, you know, someone that we can approve of. He didn't do that. He jumped ahead. He rushed ahead. He married someone that, is, that did, he, his parents didn't approve of, and it really betrayed his own values, honestly, and he was neglectful. He was neglectful in his own marriage. And then we see him in Judges 16 with a prostitute named Delilah, and Delilah was a con artist. And the Philistines, the ruler of the Philistines, came to Delilah and said to, to her, hey, we want to know the secret of Samson's strength. So you, um, you deceive him and, um, and tell us, get back to us so that we can take him out. We want, to, we want this strong man to be made weak because he can kill people. Judges, very violent, very, very violent period of history of people at each other, the Israelites and the Philistines. So Delilah takes this $25,000 and she, I'm um, kind of using my imagination here, but she looks at Samson and she's like, Honey pie, sugar darling dear, tell me how'd you get so big and strong? And Samson, in this first scenario, there's several, but in this first scenario, he says to her, if someone were to tie me up uh, with seven strips of leather that had not been dried out, if they were tie me up, my strength would sap, they could overtake me. And she lulls him into sleep. And she ties him up with seven strips of leather, sort of 50 shades of grayish, if you will. And she ties him up and the Philistines raid, but he breaks the leather. He breaks these strips of leather and he takes out these dudes. I mean, there's blood, there's death, incredible strength from this guy. Well, she circles back and there's a couple of more scenarios as she uh, tricks him. Now, let me just stop and say this because we're talking about trust today. And somebody needs to hear this. Samson, right, we'll go a little bit deeper, uh, red flag, right? Red flag, but there's two more scenarios uh, involved. Look at Scripture directly itself, Judges 16. Then she, this is Delilah, the, the prostitute, she said to him, Samson, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And then, Lauren, she cuts his hair. She finds out the real strength is in his hair. She shaves his hair and dude is taken out. He is captured. His eyes are gouged out. He's put in prison. He loses. And now let me stop. There wasn't just that one scenario that I referenced and then read this to you. There was, there was a few more scenarios. So, red flag, red flag, red flag. Proverbs puts it this way. A person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. Listen, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're trying to move it along the continuum and they are saying a lot, talking a lot, but not doing, red flag, red flag, red flag. It's a red flag. And have you noticed... Everybody hear me now. Have you noticed that we're better at identifying red flags for, in other people's relationships than we are our very own? Girls that get together and talk, and they're like, man, let me tell you about my guy. He's coming to see me. He's got to violate parole, but he's coming to see me. <laughs> red flag, red flag, red flag. So how do you gain trust? You got to know somebody. You got to spend time with them. You got to be careful what you're learning when Susan and I were dating, we uh, met in Colorado, and then we parted ways. I went to the East Coast, my home, she went to the West Coast. We had marathon phone conversations. I mean, 
talking all night where I lived. If she got home, she said, hey, let's talk, call me late tonight. And she got home at 10. If that's late out in the West Coast, that would be one o'clock for me on the East Coast. I would stay up all night talking to her. What did we talk about? And sometimes the conversations went like this. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. I mean, what did we talk about? But listen, you'll only get to know someone and gain someone's trust if you have talk and togetherness over time. It's the three T's that we learned. Did we surprise each other as we delve deeper into our lives? Yes, we did. But listen to me. If you're with somebody and they are talking a lot but not doing anything about it, if you delve into their past and you learn about sexual infidelity and drug and alcohol abuse and problems, uh, if you learn about a lack of commitment and an inability to stick with it, those are red flags. Those are red flags and too many people are too trusting. Too many people think, oh, even though all that's there, even though all of that is there, I will change them by the sheer power of my love. And in love, I'm saying to some of you that your love is not that great to change them. Time, or I'm sorry, togetherness, talk and togetherness over time is how you get to know someone. But look for red flags. Our oldest son just bought his first car. Uh, he bought his first car that he bought. I bought, it, I bought the first car he rode in, but now he bought his own car. You know what I'm saying. And uh, he did probably what um, you guys do or when you buy a car. And by the way, we bought it from a friend that we know and trust. Now, if it's a lemon, I'll be telling you who that person is. I'll use this platform to tell you who he is to embarrass him and ridicule him and make sure you don't buy a car from him. But, but RJ did what you guys do if you buy a car. He got the VIN number and um, he uh, did a little research and the, it'll tell you about the accident history, of course, the number of miles, previous owners. It gives you a history of the car. You want to know, savvy buyers want to know what has happened to this vehicle. What has it been through? Remember the Michelin commercial? Um, so much because so much is riding on your tires. Uh, you, you, need, you need a good foundation. So much is riding on your tires. Well, we need to know as much as we can about people before we deeply rely and commit to them because so much is riding on this. So much of your heart, you're, you're putting into it. So we need to know the history of what's happening. So we want to gain, we want to gain trust. The second thing we're talking about is, is sustaining that trust. How do, you, how do we uh, sustain the trust uh, you grow, you, you like what you see. Now, remember last week we talked about the 90-day rule? The 90-day rule is after a few months of dating someone or getting to know someone in friendship, you discover something about them after 90 days that makes you go, <gasps> and half of relationships end after just a few months because you've discovered something there. And many times that could be someone heeding a proper, a proper red flag. But So how do you sustain trust? You gain it by talk togetherness over time, looking for red flags, deep, digging deeper uh, into each other as you learn to rely and commit to each other. But how do you, uh, how do you sustain that? First Peter 4, 8, I don't have it on the screen, but it says this. It says, above all else, love each other deeply from the heart because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, trust grows as positive feelings are felt between two people. Marriage, romance, dating, friendship. 
And it really, in many ways, if you really begin to trust and rely on someone, you need to focus on what's good about them. And trust will do that. Trust and love built on that. When someone uh, trusts somebody, uh, they'll focus and talk about their strengths. Have you noticed that? But if someone, if you don't trust somebody, you tend to focus on their weaknesses. And love covering a multitude of sins has um, some pretty cool implications. One of them is, is um, it, I think, particularly powerful for married couples. You have, if you're married, you have two spouses. It just got weird, didn't it? You have two spouses. There's, there's a spouse that lives in your house and the spouse that lives in your head. Anybody with me? And the spouse that lives in your head, you know what you do? You argue with that spouse more than you do the spouse in your house. And have you noticed that when you argue with the spouse in your head, you win those arguments? I mean, you always, you are so good because the facts are on your side. You're right, they're wrong. And you win all those arguments uh, there. But scripture teaches us that love covers them all. So if you're with someone and the trust is good, the way to grow that trust, the way to sustain that trust, you've already gained the trust. They've gained your trust. The way to sustain that trust is, look, relax a little bit. And learn to look past some small stuff. Learn to let some things go. Because a mar- you can bury a marriage by continually digging at somebody. So love, what is it? I trust you. You've given me reason to trust. Everything is not going to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be. Because love covers a multitude of sins. So at the risk of offending, I want to say it. I, I'm still alive after the 930. But women, the number one reason that men say they feel disrespected is what? It's nagging. It's, it's when a man feels nagged. Now, you, you may not think you're nagging. You may think that you're offering suggestions to awaken him to a better path of living. But in my experience, it never really goes that way. So don't bury a marriage and break trust by continually digging at your spouse. Give freedom as he has earned the trust. There's a story in the Bible in Acts 15. A story about Paul, who everybody's heard of, and a man named Barnabas, who some may not have. Barnabas was known as, a, as an encourager, a guy that you want on your team, a guy you want in the huddle, a guy you want in your church, in your small group, in your family. He encouraged people. It shouldn't be surprising to see how this story plays out. But Paul and, and Barnabas were on a missionary journey, an initial missionary journey, and they had a, another dude with them named John Mark. And John Mark got homesick. And he got homesick. Some of you think your kids that you dropped off at college are, are missing you and they're homesick. And nah, they may not. They may not be. But he got homesick. He missed his mommy and he bailed. John Mark bailed on the missionary journey. Paul, well, for him, this left a very sour taste in his mouth. And John Mark, though, Paul was like, you know, he doesn't belong in the next missionary journey. It was a sharp disagreement. He doesn't belong in the next missionary journey. But Barnabas, the encouraging guy, he saw the good qualities. They, they witnessed the same thing, but because he trusted John Mark, evidently Paul didn't, he saw and said, hey, this guy deserves another shot. You know what they ended up doing? They ended up parting ways. The gospel went different places. God can even use disagreements if we handle them well. By the way, if God's calling you to leave, just leave. You don't have to rip people up. You don't have to tear up another church. You don't have to tear up another Christian. You don't have to tear up a fellow believer. You can just say, hey, you know what? There's just you and me, and we just disagree." Country song from the 70s can be true in church. And that's what happened in Acts 15, which came along a lot sooner than a country song in the 70s. But there's just you and me, we, and that's what they, they just disagreed. But here's what I'm saying. The same thing, the same dude did the same thing, but they interpreted it differently. One said, I don't trust him. One said, he deserves a second chance. And this is where we need wisdom. 
this is where I appreciate both, honestly, because I appreciate they had a disagreement, but they went and they didn't let it hurt the mission. Barnabas decided, I'm going to look past some things in order to sustain the trust, and he deserves a second shot. The last thing about trust, there's gaining it, and then there's sustaining it. And then there's a, whoop, let me back up because I'm giving you some good information there too soon. Um, there is, there's regaining. And as promised, this is the heavy part of the sermon. And so what I want you to do, because uh, I'm not just a preacher, I'm many of your pastors, just look right at me. And do the best you can, not to nudge or just right here. Is that okay? So is it awkward? Just look at me for a second. This is heavy because for one of two reasons. Number one, you could be the person who's been deeply hurt by somebody. You could be the person who's made a full commitment. You've been relying and you trusted and you thought you knew them, but they betrayed you. It was a severe breach of trust. This could be heavy and hard for you. Or second reason is you could be the person who offended. You could be the person who betrayed. You could be the person who inflicted tremendous pain on someone that you love. And so what I want you to do today is understand this, because sometimes the church isn't clear on it, and I want to be very clear. No equivocation for me. There is a difference between trust and forgiveness. There is a big difference between trust and forgiveness. Now, everybody has to work it out. If you fight for the relationship, remember what we read, 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we're focused on trusting and believing, but it says it bears all things. In other words, it stays with people. It doesn't just throw them away at the first mistake. So here's the difference. Forgiveness is past-oriented. You did something bad. They did something bad. It hurt. Trust is future-oriented. Where do we go from here? What's the future for her? What's the future for me? What's the future for we? Forgiveness is letting go. Trust is holding on. Forgiveness is undeserved. Trust is earned. Jesus was spat upon. He was cursed. He was falsely accused. They let a guilty man go, and they chose an innocent man who knew no guile, who had no sin, and they scourged him, and they hung him on a cross. And they beat him while he was naked. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Can you think of an example where forgiveness, I mean, can you think of an example of forgiveness at that level? It was undeserved. So I I said I would give you something without equivocation. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, when do you forgive? Look at me. Always. Always forgive because Jesus would want you to. Are you with me? You always forgive. And if you don't, let's just go to psychology if you don't want to go with the Bible. A lack of forgiveness will eat you slowly. It'll eat you up slowly. I had a phone call this week out of state. Susan rolled her eyes when she found out who I was talking to because I've had this conversation 137 different times about one person and a lack of forgiveness. And when, at what point can you let go? Now, if you, if you come to me and say, Robert, can I borrow your truck to move? And I say yes, but you borrow my truck to go four-wheeling. And you bring it back caked in mud and covered in dirt, and I can't even see out the windshield. Am I going to forgive you? Some of you know me. Am I going to forgive you? I am. 
But if you ask me for my truck again, am I going to give you my truck? Not in this life. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Not going to do it. I can let it go, but it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that I invite you back in. And so let's be careful with this. I want to give you two cautions. And this is really important. The first is this. You'll likely want to resolve the past and get back to normal before the offended person is ready. Preacher, how long? It was my error. It was my sin. It was egregious. It was a severe breach of trust. I know it. He, she knows it. Our kids know it. Some people know it. How long? And my answer is, if you love them, and you want, or will you bear all things? Will you endure? And if you love them, my answer is, as long as it takes. As long as it takes, which introduces the second caution. Offenders won't trust to be given without any significant changes in the relationship. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Hear me now. If you break your arm, an orthopedic a doctor will put it in a cast. And that arm that you broke will be restricted. It won't have the freedom that it used to have. But it's restricted in order to set it properly. You're not, you're not like, let's punish the arm. Bad arm. Bad arm broke. Let's punish. You're, you're resetting it. They are. Let them do the work. If you're not in orthopedics, they reset it in order to bring healing. And here's what I want to say. That's analogous to you. If you have been the one who has offended if you've been the one with the severe breach, if you've been the one who they thought they knew you, they thought that your family, man, your family thought they could count on you and you strayed and you, you were the one who broke the trust, give it time. And here's what I'm saying, become very predictable. Become very reliable. Restrict freedoms that you used to have because you messed up and do it as long as they need you to do it because you're earning trust again. Trust how to gain it how to sustain it, and how to regain it. As our worship team comes, Luke and JJ and team, um, let me ask you to stand. And I want to just um, close this out as we pray over today. And this part that's heavy and hard, I, I particularly want us to focus on. Um, if you've been hurt... I know what happens. I've been hurt. I've got some of those abandonment issues. I've been betrayed. And I know when you're hurt, the default for every human heart is to put a shield about you. Is to say that I'm not going to trust again. And I want to say to you, love, trust, First Corinthians, sorry, that love, trust, love, trust. And you want a life of trust. You want to be a person. So with trust, I want to say it's, it's something that you want, to, you want to learn it. I hope I helped today a little bit. You want to learn it. You want to earn it. And you want to extend it. That's, that's being Jesus in the life of other people. So pray with me. Father, thank you for trust. Thank you for the invitation from the love chapter, the 13th chapter of Corinthians, written to a church that was fighting 
written to people who had sharp disagreements, some over silly things, some over moral things, just some flat-out disagreements that everybody in this room knows about. And he reminded them that what love does, part of what love does is believes in other people. But we've seen verses, Lord, we threw up a few that just says, hey, be careful out there. Don't esteem a man more than you should. Be careful about someone who, like you, has just got nostrils, got breath in their nostrils. Even princes, even people who have positions, be careful not to elevate them, not to worship them, not to give them a place of import in your life. Undue importance in your life. So let me close by saying the one that we ultimately trust is the one who's described as the rock, whose work is perfect whose ways are established, who is without sin. We'll get to commitment in a couple of weeks, but commitment's a scary thing because we lose freedom, we lose choice, we lose our individuality. But there's just something that commitment makers and keepers know of freedom that they know that commitment avoiders don't know. So can I say to you today, the answer today for you is not, no matter what, it is not, I've been hurt, I will not trust again. That, friends, is not the answer. Lead us, Jesus. Lead us to trust. Lead us to generosity. I pray for myself, for my wife. Pray for the leaders of Fondren Church. We're not going to be perfect, but I pray that we would be trustworthy, that people would find us to be worthy of their trust because of the commitments that we make, the commitments that we keep. Minister to our people, Lord, as ushers come, would you bless offerings? Would you bless the tithes as people give? Allow your goodness to be known through the money that we give, the way we look to the needs of our city and our world, of our church. In Jesus we pray.